There is not a square inch in the world domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Do you, uh, do you ever find yourself like I do in a meeting, in a church service, somewhere, and you just want to scream, what do you want me to do? You just say, okay, these are, this is, these are nice things, boss, that you're having this, this meeting about, but what is it you actually just want me to do? Let's get practical. I don't know if you guys are like me, but I think most meetings should take place standing up in a hallway. I think we could be done in about 10 minutes, and then let's get on to get some things done, get practical. I'd rather have a meal with somebody and get to know them than sit in a meeting to get to know them. And so that's just kind of how I'm wired. Most of the time, I just want to know, what do you want me to do? These truths, these principles, this vision statement, these values, these standards that you have, these these are really nice, but let's get down to something practical. Maybe we, maybe you go to church. Hopefully not me, you don't say this, but maybe you do. You go, okay, Joe, these are, this is really nice that this is true, but what do I do? With this, how does this affect my marriage, or how does this affect raising children? How does this how does this affect me in my grief? How does this affect me while I look for a job? How does this how does this affect me when my world is crumbling? And so we can get to Sunday, and we can get into a series like the one we're in right now, Supreme Every Square Inch. Jesus is supreme over every square inch of reality, but something kind of whispers, "What do we do with that?" What do we do with that? We're walking through Colossians. Joe, if Jesus is supreme, so what? What do we do? What I want you to do is I want you to turn with me to the book of Colossians. Because this is the moment in this letter when Paul turns to the so what. When Paul says, okay, now let's get down. If Jesus is supreme, let's talk about what that has to do with everyday life. Let's talk about what that has to do with moment by moment, living as if Jesus is supreme over every square inch. Colossians chapter 3 is this, this, this change. Colossians chapter 3 starts with, since then, and he's kind of moving from what we've been seeing, that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the one that's over all. Jesus is the one that all the rulers bow down to. And then he turns here to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible we're gonna, and your arms are full with kids, then we've got the verses up on the screen. You can also grab the Bible from the seat back in front of you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, we want to hear what you have to say. Not my wisdom, not my strength, not what I think people need to hear. Lord, I pray that that your words would become clear and we would begin to understand what it means to declare that you are supreme over every square inch of reality. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians chapter 3. In this book that's all about Jesus over all. Jesus is better. Jesus is supreme. Colossians chapter 3 is this movement that says, declare Jesus' supremacy with your whole life. That's what it means. 
And then he begins to walk through what does that mean? Four, four different areas in our lives that we declare Jesus' supremacy or we declare the supremacy of something else. Chapter 3 is this call. Can you use every area of your life to declare the supremacy of Jesus over all things or will you declare that other things are supreme in each of these areas? What I want to do is I want to show you these four areas where Paul gets really practical. Verses 1 through 4 says, Declare Jesus' supremacy with your mind. Declare Jesus' supremacy with your mind. What, what we have to notice here in chapter 3 is this really cool thing that Paul does all the time in his letters. I'll get grammatical for you or for just a quick second. He will make a statement about what is true, and then he will give them a command. He will make a statement. You could, the grammatical thing would be he makes an indicative statement. This is what's true. And then he gives an imperative. He gives them a command. This is what's true, guys. So this is what I want you to do. And what we often do is we begin to twist them. And we begin to neglect the, the this is true part. And we just focus on the command. We, we stop paying attention to the, the fact that Paul starts here in verses 1 through 4 and says, since then you have been raised with Christ. This is true. You don't get to make it true. Your obedience and the way that you live does not change this. Since you have been raised with Christ. And then he gives them a command. Again, he points out another, another this is true statement. Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He moves down into verse 3 and says, For you've died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We can begin to just brush past those to where he says, Set your minds on things above. And we miss the fact that we've died with Christ, and we've been raised with Christ. And so now we're setting our mind, we have this, this reason and this basis of which to set our minds on the things above. You're not actually going to make yourself be raised with Christ by setting your minds on things above. Paul is saying, you have already repented of your sin and trusted in Christ. And so now you've already died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so the things that I'm calling you to do, you have a new life to do that with. You have a new power to do that with. You have the record of somebody that's died and been raised with Christ. And so the record is not set against you. And so will you... Here, This is where he gets to this... This command, set your mind, your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And so Paul is calling us to say, you can actually set your mind on things that are with God. And that is the way that we actually begin to practice the Christian life. It can be easy for you and I to declare the supremacy of something else with our minds because we focus on a future that we don't understand. We focus on a, a tragedy that may happen. We, tr- we focus on a situation that is spinning out of control. And Paul's like, guys, if Jesus is supreme, and if you've already trusted in Him, if your salvation is secure, if your future is secure, set your mind in that kind of place. Paul's not saying that from comfort. Remember, Paul is actually in Rome under house arrest. He's going to be there for two years. He's already been stoned many times, stoned to the point that people thought he was dead. He's already been through so much. And he says, guys, I know things are hard, but set your mind on things above. Because what we think about declares what we think is supreme. This is, this is the principle that Paul is pointing us to. The thing that we think most about is the thing that we think is most supreme in our lives. And that's the actual way into living a practical Christian life that begins to live that out. And so that 
then instead of focusing on things that make us anxious, then we begin to focus on Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God, controls all of history, and nobody can threaten His plans. Sometimes we can think that the thing that we put our mind on, or the, the, if we just put our mind on things, then that's actually not the way to practical Christian living. And Paul says, no, that actually is the way. I've been, the last couple of years when we go on vacation, we read books or listen to audiobooks with the kids. And one of the favorite ones we did last year, or several of them, was a series called The City of Ember. And it's a long story short, it's the world is ending, and so they take a bunch of babies and old people and bury them in the ground in a city that they've built underground for 200 years. And then they give them instructions that are supposed to help them out, and somebody loses the instructions. And so they get caught underground for 300 years, and they're running out of food, and they, they don't know what to do, and they don't think that anything is out there to rescue. They don't think that there's anything out there. They think that the only world that they know is the city that they live in. But there's this group of people, and I've forgotten the name of the people, but they sit in the city center singing songs about somebody that's going to come and rescue them one day. And I don't know what the author's point of about those, but it, it reminds that these are the people that they despise because they, they just think that somebody out there someday is going to rescue them. And so they become useless to the city because all they have their minds set on is something out there, somebody out there, this future. We live in a world that says, no, the only person that can save me is myself, and so the only thing I should think about is myself. And that story about those people reminds me that to the watching world, Christians focusing on a Jesus that died and rose again and is seated at the right hand of God and is going to come back with a sword on a horseback to rescue and to do justice in the world, that makes us really impractical. But this passage says, no, that's actually the way into the practical Christian life is to declare the supremacy of Jesus with our minds. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 says that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. Jesus set his mind on the joy that is before him. And so he was able to endure the cross, despising the shame. And so he has called us to that same kind of life. Will we set our minds on the joy that is before us, seated at the right hand of God? So what is your mind on this week? What is your mind on this Sunday? What is that thing that if I get it, will make me happy, will make me in control, will make life work? Paul invites us. God invites us. Will you set your mind on His supremacy? Will you say, Jesus, you are supreme. doesn't feel like it. I don't understand how this is going to work. But Jesus, I'm going to set my mind there. I'm going to declare your supremacy with my mind. The second area that we declare Jesus' supremacy, verses 5-11, through 11, is we declare Jesus' supremacy by putting to death our old patterns and our old desires. Verses 5-11. through 11. Notice again, he's going to make that, this is what's real statement, and he's going to make commands. He's going to mix those up as we go through here, verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, 
or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In these verses, Paul says, we declare Jesus' supremacy by putting to death our old patterns and desires. Notice again, he's made those, this is what's real, those indicative statements. You have put off the old self in the ways that you once walked. He begins saying, this is already true. You have a different record now. The record of your old sins doesn't stand against you. And so the command is put to death those patterns, those those ways of living, those desires that are inside of you. Not because God's going to somehow accept you if you do this, but God has already accepted you, given you His record and His spirit and His identity. And so put to death those things inside of you. That's what, so often we think about sin as a list of things outside of us. And as long as you don't do these things, Paul doesn't let us do that. Colossians here, uh, your translation may say, put to death the earthly things inside you. Or your translation may just say, put to death those earthly things in you. This, This idea that it's actually not just a list of rules and things out there. It's actually the desire inside me to do them. And then he begins walking down this list, not of things that you've done, those things that you've wanted. Put to death sexual immorality, those sexual desires on the inside, lust, evil desires, and greed. He doesn't condemn being rich. He condemns being greedy as the thing that we put to death. You already have put off the old self. You have this new record. And so that covetousness, that greed that grips your heart, whether you have much or you just want much, Put to death those kinds of things. He says, you used to walk in those ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Here is this call to put to death those patterns and desires that grip at us because Jesus is supreme. He doesn't want, you can be a good Christian if you put these things together. No, Jesus is supreme. You've already put off that old self. And so the way that you declare that to to yourself and to Jesus and to the world is in his power to begin to put those things to death. I have a friend who, or I had a friend years ago that uh, was preaching at a camp that I worked at and he told a story of being invited to go and do a wedding for a guy, I'm sorry, a wedding a funeral for a guy he didn't know. And so he has to try and find out who is this guy and what is he like? And everybody kind of standing outside the, the during visitation was talking about how he was a really good time and how, how he really could pack away the alcohol and he really, really could do crazy and wild and illegal things. His, his partying days were legendary and these people had so much fun declaring to one another Man, that guy knew how to have a good time. And so then he went in and talked to the family, the man's wife and young kids. And he got up to do the funeral and he said, you know, I remember the guy's name, John was a really good time. He really knew how to, he really knew how to have a good time and to make a lot of trouble. He really, he really was, he really could, he really could make a name for himself. And everybody's kind of sitting there nodding and laughing. And he said, but that man's dead. Which is like the wrong thing to say at a funeral. Uh, this, that guy that you all know and love, that party animal is dead. But he died two years ago. 
because this man met Jesus. And so his wife and kids don't remember him for his partying. They actually remember a man that had died with Christ and been raised with Christ and began to live a new kind of life. The guy that you remember and love, he's dead, but he died two years ago. And so we actually can celebrate because we know that this man died and has been raised with Christ. That story of my friend at the funeral is the story of this passage. Is We actually declare the supremacy of, God, of Christ by putting to death the old patterns and sins and living a new kind of life so that the watching world can say, that man has died with Christ and has been raised to new life. And so all those old patterns and all of those old desires have been put aside. So the call in this passage is, will you put to death the sin inside you? Not just towing the line and trying to behave so you can fit into a church. Not just towing the line so that our spouses and kids, our friends, the the people at work like us a little bit better. But can we say, I have died with Christ. And so I am going to put to death all of those old patterns that grip my heart and want to drag me down because Jesus is supreme. Because Jesus is supreme and Jesus is worth it. Will we put to death our old patterns and desires? The third area that we declare Jesus' supremacy. We declare Jesus' supremacy by putting on a changed life. Verses 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Paul says, we declare the supremacy of Jesus by putting on a changed life. The indicatives, again, the the things that are true, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. He, He actually, he calls us to put on a changed life because we are already chosen, holy, and beloved. We are already God's darling, and so we're not like small children trying to earn the pleasure and the approval of an overbearing father. We actually are holy, chosen, and dearly loved. And so, within we are invited and called to put on a changed life. The the kind of changed life, compassionate, kind, humility, uh, humble, gentle, patient. Bearing with each other. Forgiving one another. Forgiving as the Lord has forgiven us and putting on love. This passage begins to call for us to put on a kind of life that nobody else would choose or naturally fall into. Jesus is declared supreme by compassionate people. Jesus is declared supreme by patient people. Jesus is declared supreme by humble people, gentle people, patient people. This passage begins to walk through the letting the message of Christ dwell among you richly because Jesus is supreme. And so put each one of these things on. That is what it means to be practical, is to remind myself today, before I've done anything right or wrong, I am chosen, holy, and beloved. And so I can begin to be compassionate in a way I've never been compassionate. Humble, because Jesus is supreme. When I 
when I met Emma, I worked at Starbucks, and um, I, life just became easier if I made a uniform for myself. They had kind of some standards, and so I just went to the store and bought several white shirts and several pair of identical pants, and I would just wear those all of the time. Uh, that's kind of been my pattern in life, is I just pick jeans that I like, or pants that I like, or shirts that I like, sweaters that I like, and just keep, hey, just wear the same things all the time. It makes the whole life a whole lot easier. And so I'm working at Starbucks, and I show up every day, green apron, khakis, and a white shirt, every day, close to two years. And then I, I earned something special. At Starbucks, you can earn a black apron. I still have it. It's one of my most proud possessions. Uh, you can earn a black apron uh, through going some, through some extra training and some, doing some different stuff and lots of coffee tasting. And, and so I earned a black apron and I went, I need to change my uniform because I now have a different apron. And so I went to the store and bought several pairs of black pants and white shirts and do the whole thing over again. And the first day I showed up, people went, something's really wrong. Something's really wrong. Joe, you never wear anything except for khakis and white shirts. Like, what is the deal? What changed? And the thing that changed is I had a new apron. I'd been, I'd gone to another level. I'd gone farther and I, I wanted to dress a little bit differently. And I'm telling you that story because this passage says you're now holy, chosen, and beloved. So put on a different uniform. Don't look like the world looks that says that power and control, that being right is the way to go. This passage says being compassionate and patient is the uniform of a Christian. Christians are called to this kind of uniform that is humble and kind, forgiving, loving. The kind of uniform that Christians put on is thanksgiving. It's letting the Word of God dwell in us and believing that the songs that we sing encourage the people around me. They're not just for me. Do we declare Jesus' supremacy by putting on a different uniform? And so if you're here and you're a single adult and you're going, hey, how does, what does it look like for this to apply to me? Is to begin to put our eyes on our life and go, Jesus is calling me to a uniform of compassion and kindness. Really, regardless of the circumstances that I find myself in. You're a child and you're here and you go, what does the Bible have to do with me? This passage says that if you have been raised with Christ, the uniform of a Christian is to begin to look like Jesus who's compassionate towards us, who's kind towards us, who's patient towards us. If you're a husband, the call in this passage is to put on a different uniform, to forgive, to love, to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. If you're a mom, the passage in this is to declare the supremacy of Christ in your job and with your kids and with your husband by putting on a different uniform. If you're retired, close to retirement, you don't get exempted from this. This passage says, no, there's a new uniform and you will never be done changing to begin to look like Jesus because Jesus is supreme. And the fourth way, the fourth area that we declare Jesus' supremacy is we declare Jesus' supremacy in our relationships. Verses 18 through the first verse of chapter 4. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when they, their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as, is, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, 
It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know what it is that you also have a master in heaven. This section, wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, masters, has these commands, but the underlying thing in it is Jesus is supreme. And so wives, life's going to be different. Husbands, if Jesus is supreme, life is going to be different. Children, if Jesus is supreme, life is going to be different. Fathers, slaves, masters, you are actually called to live out in your relationships the supremacy of Christ, not the supremacy of the other person or of yourself. We look at this and we hear slaves, and in a country with a a horrible history of race-based slavery, we have to point out that in this matter, that slaves was not race-based. They had rights, maybe limited rights, but they had rights. There were some, there are massive differences between American slavery and the slavery that was done here in the Bible. But the underlying point in all of this is a principle that says that we declare the supremacy of Christ in our relationships, often by faith. We declare the supremacy of Christ in our relationships, but often by faith. Because wives, you may have a husband that is not loving and that is harsh and that does not love Jesus. Fathers or husbands, you may have a wife that is cruel and unsubmissive. Children, you may have a cruel father. Fathers, you may have children that are disobedient. Slaves, you may have horrible masters. Masters, you may have horrible slaves. But the passage says that we declare the supremacy of Christ in our relationships. And so the call to wives is wives declare the supremacy of Christ by submitting to your husband. There are limitations on that. Wives are not called to disobey the law of God simply because their husband says so. Children are not called to disobey the law of God just because their fathers say so. In each one of these, there is the limiting principle of we are called to a higher law, and sometimes that means we disobey those in authority. But in the normal situation, we declare the wives declare the supremacy of Christ in their submission. Husbands declare the supremacy of Christ by being gentle and not harsh. Children declare the supremacy of Christ with their obedience. Fathers declare the supremacy of Christ by not exasperating their children, not pushing them too hard, not demanding too much. Slaves declare the supremacy of Christ by serving as if this master is Jesus. And masters declare that Jesus is supreme by doing right by those that are underneath them. So we look at this passage. It gets really practical and there's I could have preached four sermons on each one of these paragraphs, but each one of these things comes so high, it ought to crush us. Declaring the supremacy of Christ with my mind, I don't do that very well. Declaring the supremacy of Christ by putting to death the desires inside me, I don't do that very well. Declaring the supremacy of Christ by putting on a changed life, there's so many ways that I fall short. Declaring the supremacy of Christ in my relationships, Each one of these ought to crush each one of us because God's standards for us are higher than our standards for us. But we, but this passage points us to the fact that Jesus keeps this passage perfectly in our place. Jesus is the one that endured the cross because his mind was fixed on the joy that was set before him with the Father. Jesus is the one who had no sinful desires and patterns to repent of, and yet died in your place and in my place. Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life, changed life that I'm called to, and yet he died in my place. Jesus is the one who was perfectly submissive and obedient to his Father. Jesus is the one who was not cruel to those, the weaker that were underneath him. 
This passage points us to Jesus because it invites us to accept Jesus' record and doing this perfectly. This passage says, since you have been raised with Christ, it is an invitation. Be raised with Christ and begin to declare his supremacy with his record and with his power. You say, how can I know, Joe, that holy, chosen, and dearly loved applies to me? This passage says that holy, chosen, and dearly loved can apply to you and to me. Because even though we've all turned away from God in sin and rebellion and said, God, we're going to live our own ways, we've broken every one of these elements in thought and in deed. This passage says that we are invited to accept Jesus' record of holiness with repentance and faith. As we turn away from our own way of living, as we turn away from our own record, our own control, and we take Jesus. That is what it means to die with Christ and to be raised with him. If you have questions about that, please grab me. Whether you attend all of the time, whether you're new, whether you're young, whether you're old. This passage says, declare Jesus' supremacy with our whole life, and it starts with taking Jesus. So then, what changes? What changes is we begin to accept Jesus' record and we realize that this standard, this call from God to us, doesn't stand over us. These, these commands follow Him saying, this is what's real about you. Now come and declare your supremacy with your mind. Declare my supremacy with putting to death old patterns and desires. Declare my supremacy by putting on a changed life. Declare my supremacy in your relationships. Then we become in our homes and on our blocks and in our town and in our work and in our extended family and in our hobbies. We become billboards saying, look, Jesus is supreme over every square inch, every square inch of my mind, every square inch of my desires, every square inch of my life, every square inch of my relationships. And then people begin to see this it's what it means for Jesus to be supreme. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you, that you call, uh, call to us so that we hear from your word, chosen, holy, and dearly loved, and then begin to declare your supremacy in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. There is not a square inch in the world domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine.